Welcome to Hiraith, a home for the left in Wales. We're here today to talk about the policies, not the parties, that will be at the forefront of next year's Senedd campaign. Joining us tonight is Meg Thomas, Policy and Research Officer at Disability Wales. Hi, Meg. Hi. Uh, we've also got Harry Thompson, who's an Account Executive for Derrin Public Affairs. Hello, Harry. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. Uh, we've also got Dan Roberts, who's the Policy and Research Officer at the Wales Cooperative Centre. Hi, Dan. Hi, everyone. Uh, we have Owen Williams, who's the Managing Director of Simul, a social media agency and the former social media lead for BBC Wales and BBC One. Hi, Owen. Hey, how are you? Very well. Good to have you. Uh, we've also got Nisreen Mansour, who is the Policy Officer for Wales TUC. Hi, Nisreen. Hi there. We've got Gemma Beer here, the Policy Officer for Keep Wales Tidy. Hi, everyone. So the first thing I want to talk to you guys about tonight is what you think the main policy areas that will be a main impact in next year's election will be. Gemma, what do you think? Well, <laughs> there's a lot of things that can happen between now and May, isn't there? I think if the economic impact of COVID is as bad as we fear, I think we're going to be looking at um, unemployment. I think uh, COVID's still going to be with us, so NHS, as always. And I think there'll be some elements that are going to um, be dependent on, on what happens with, with Brexit as well. I'd like to see climate change in there, but I'm sure we'll come on to that later. Um, I think it's fair to say that there's a, there's a whole lot of new challenges that the next Welsh Government term is going to face that previous uh, terms just haven't. I think I'd, I'd really like to see some of the parties push for, for new policy areas, like a sort of holistic well-being policy, whereby they're looking at the, the, the way environment and climate can benefit people's lifestyles. I think, I think I, I'm really interested in what Jacinda Ardern was doing in New Zealand with regards to that holistic approach and, and taking taking GDP off, off the menu effectively. I'm just concerned that we seem to be treading the same old lines constantly in terms of what the policy areas look like. And I want to see uh, an incoming government think about how the well-being of the people, the citizens of Wales can be improved by their takeover of government, really. Meg? I agree with Gemma. I think the economy is going to be a major issue. I think we'll almost certainly be in a recession at the time, but also it's the first election where parties will be trying to sell to the public how they're going to use new tax raising powers. I think that is something that people are really going to pick up on. I also think that social care is going to be a major area of the discourse, especially at the moment where you're seeing some of both the strengths and the weaknesses of the social care sector in Wales. I was nodding along there a lot because all my favourite subjects just got mentioned by Megan. Um, I think, uh, yeah, the economy and potentially very high unemployment is going to be a massive factor and something that we're going to have to um, think about responding to perhaps quite creatively and um, particularly if we see quite a turbulent business environment. Ideas of transition, so transitioning out of crisis but also those environmental and digital ambitions that we have, how, we, how can we make them a reality as part of the recovery will still be themes. And then public services because I think the crisis has made us sort of realise again how valuable our health service and care system are but with reduced tax revenues how are we going to reward those people that have kept those systems going? I think that's going to be a massive challenge and tax is, is going to be something that we're going to have to you know properly consider for the first time in an election in Wales and that'll be really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been doing some nodding myself as well, because I think the, uh, you know, the economy is going to be a high one there, obviously, with the uh, economic fallout of COVID-19. The economy and the public finances are going to dictate a lot of uh, what, what policy proposals we see, we see on the table, because we've heard um, Michael Gove talking, I think, yesterday about Roosevelt and a new deal. And we've seen uh, Boris Johnson talking about 
uh, a Rooseveltian approach to public finances too and coming out of crisis. So um, we might be in a different context this time to what we were in in post-2016 when we were dealing with austerity. The next Welsh Government might have some leeway with funding if there is an increase in Barnet consequentials. So uh, even though we might have a challenging economic scenario, the finances uh, and increased finances for the Welsh Government might give impetus to some new fresher thinking policy-wise. I think contrasting this economic crisis with the one we went through in 2007 might be a big impact here. You know, in that 2010 general election, the Conservative argument won that we needed to balance the books and austerity was the only solution. But now I think people have had enough of that. They've seen that we need investment to keep those jobs in Wales and to keep those high quality jobs. I think the contrast between different ways of getting out of these crises is going to be a really important factor. And definitely unemployment, I think, is going to be a huge impact. You know, the Welsh Government at the start of devolution, its main focus was unemployment in Wales and historic unemployment. Uh, and that was the focus. Whether can, they can replicate the success they had in that area, again, will be really interesting. And whether they can combine that with that additional focus of sustainability, well-being and that sort of thing. Owen, how do you see, you know, as our communications expert here tonight, how do you see the parties uh, selling these ideas? All these, you know, I think everyone here is in agreement that we're going to see some pretty different kind of policies. How do you think they're going to go about doing that? Uh, the endless trouble for the Welsh parties, and really probably only talking about um, Plaid Cymru here, um, the real trouble for them is that the party machinery behind uh, the Conservatives and, uh, and Labour is extremely advanced in terms of how they deal with and manage um, their communications across the social sphere in particular. Plaid either has to, either has to you know, put a, put a bunch of money in there or it's got to think fast and dirty. I don't quite know how they're going to achieve that. I mean, I realise we don't talk individual parties here, but Plaid is, is interesting in that it is the only insular, as it were, party in Wales, whereas the rest of them are very much a splinter faction of a UK-based party in many respects. I think in terms of getting their message across, there has to be a delineation between church and state. I think the problem you've got for a lot of the unionist parties and the UK-based parties is that they are very much seen as being UK focused and I say a problem I'm not convinced it is a problem for them because overwhelmingly people look to look to London first but I think Drakeford has done a tremendous job during this Covid period of owning the moment the trouble is how he's going to translate that back into a, a Wales winning pitch for the for the public um, and the perennial danger for someone like Drakeford is that on one hat he wears this sort of Wales first hat so well and on the other hand, he juxtaposes that with I'm unionist first. And it just sits weirdly. Do you, you know, are you looking to London or not? So I don't know. Uh, honestly, I don't know is the answer to that. I've just gone down a really long tunnel with that one and not come out the other end with any, any answers for you. <laughs> so you talk about independence there a bit, Owen. Harry, do you reckon that independence will be a big part of the campaign next year? Well, I, you know, I think Plaid Cymru are going to be talking about independence. They've become a bit more self-confident with it recently. The polling's gone up for a bit, it has to be said. I can't see them making it the centrepiece of their campaign, because I think a lot of people will be wanting to focus on bread and butter issues, especially if, you know, we've got really high unemployment statistics, we're expect, which we're expecting to. Uh, I can't imagine Plaid Cymru will be wanting to focus on the constitution too much. So I think independence will probably take a little bit of a backseat during the campaign. Yeah, I agree. Because I think part of Plaid Cymru's pitch is them as the party to lead Wales into the future and into like a, like a, new, a new Wales. Because I think what the, the next election is going to be a 
real turning points. I think it's going to be a lot of how do the parties see the future of Wales from this point. I don't think there's really, you can't really go back from that from now. Also, player cover, you just read the room, essentially. If there is high unemployment, if the economy is crashing, no one wants to talk about Welsh independence. No one wants to talk about the constitution. No one wants to talk about something which one of the main arguments uh, against it the people have put forward is a damaged economy. Dan, do you agree? Do you think that Clyde will sort of read the room or do you think they'll try and push forward and, and explain the potential of using different economic levers, etc., if they're independent? Yeah, I think uh, I can't really see Clyde, you know, making independence a sort of number one issue in this campaign. But I do think that people are naturally at the moment thinking more about Wales's relationship with the UK both on the pro-independent side, but also the pro-abolition of the parliament side as well. I think regardless of whether the parties push those issues, they're sort of naturally coming to the fore anyway. And I'm sure Plaid will want to use the opportunity to, like you say, say that, you know, we've shown in this crisis that we can go a different way if necessary and, and we can make a success of it. And if we can do that in the resp- response to the, to the COVID-19 crisis, we can do it in the economy, we can do it in other areas as well. So I think it's a, it's a conversation that's, naturally going to occur anyway because it's an interesting thing to talk about for journalists and I think it's an opportunity for Plaid to show that there are different ways of doing things and that there are different solutions but you know in the wider context of everything that's going on that has to be the priority and and the, the voting public will want answers to those questions first and foremost. It would be healthy for all parties and organisations to maybe think about this period and think about what bits of our settlement held us back, perhaps. I think we come up uh, against quite a lot of tensions in the devolution settlement and the powers we've had in relation to the virus. Uh, Something like statutory sick pay, for instance, isn't devolved, but it's a key factor in the virus spreading. I think rather than thinking about it in terms of this kind of black and white, should we seek independence or not? I think we have to think about what our demands would be to help us out of this crisis in relation to devolution. I think aspects of employment rights might form part of that. Yeah, I mean, I think that Applied um, is quite strong on the environment, um, actually. Um, but I think it's I think it's kind of bigger than that. I think Applied's got an opportunity to, um, in the context of all of these, you know, quite groundbreaking and quite quite negative things. So you've got you've got climate change, you've got COVID, you've got Brexit. Clyde has got an opportunity, and they're probably the only the only party that can put forward a vision of how things could be fundamentally different. Because if when you talk about independence, you can talk about pretty much starting from scratch in a way that you know, all other parties, in fact, all other organisations have got a, you know, a kind of green recovery plan for the economy. Every man and his dog has got one at the moment. I think, you know, in, in the context of independence, you can you can do that in a very meaningful way, in a way that a lot of other places and a lot of other parties are not in the position to, to do so. That said, you know, I think, you know, you've got Scottish independence in the background as well, which I think is going to overshadow, um, you know, the kind of devolved nation elections. And I think there's still probably a lot of nervousness about coming out completely. So it's not going to be at the forefront, but I certainly think that they could use that opportunity to come forward with a, with a lot of um, positivity, which we're really lacking in politics at the moment. I mean, I don't know about anyone else, but I've never been so enraged and so bored, you know, at the same time. <laughs> oh, and is that the impression you get? I think everyone's talked about 
you know, read the room and I recognise that and I see that, but how does this party differentiate itself from all the other parties? Because they're all going to be doing that. They're all going to be talking about recovery. And Gemma's absolutely right to say that, you know, um, th there will be a... Um, there'd be a, a way forward that they have to they have to try and sort of not only navigate but but describe for people in their minds i think it, it's a case of if not now when for pride um you know adam price has always been someone who's been at the vanguard of of independence and has been striving for it you know i mean i'm sure he'd dearly like to be the first um leader of free wales and um and i i wouldn't put it past him to make that case very vociferously um I I I, re, I I disagree with everyone, bar Gemma. Um, I think that um, I think that it has to be that time for them, or otherwise, what's their selling point? Um, the the only way they'll get cut through is through doing that. The only way they'll get cut through amongst everything. The only way they get national headlines. The only way they'll get compared to Sturgeon. The only way they'll get that that voice. The only way they'll get um, you know the SNP sort of talking them up as well is by is by putting that out there. Is does anyone uh, agree disagree with Owen there? Well, well, I think he's um, he's got a good point about the fact that independence is um, a UK press national issue, and it um, obviously generates headlines in a way that Plaid Cymru struggle to sometimes. But I think what I question is you can get the headlines back in independence, but if you uh, if, if if you know if you've got unemployment at twenty percent and uh, and people don't want to hear about constitutional issues, then there's one thing in the headlines, there's another thing getting people to vote for you based on those headlines, isn't there? Forgive me, but to Harry's point, yes, I, I agree, it's very difficult, but the, the reality is, as Gemma mentions, you can redraw the you can redraw the terms of the deal, you can redraw the way the country is structured, you can redraw everything, and, and if they put out a principle for how it, how it all looks, yeah, I, I, I'm no, I'm no Plaid voter, but I do think it's really interesting. I have I recently joined Yes Company because I'm just fed up to the back teeth of the way uh, things are being done in London and, and the way they're handling COVID and so on and so forth. I've been very impressed with Drakeford in this period as well. Um, but I think even he can be stronger on this. Um, and I, I just think I, I, I recognise where you're coming from, Harry, and I take my hat off in terms of your consultancy background. <laughs> I know anywhere near as much from policy as you guys do. I'm not as interred within it, but um, it, it's very much a, it's very much something I think that they either have to differentiate or die. Yeah, I was just thinking that I think it's going to really depend on where Plaid's targeted seats are and where and what votes they're aiming to pick up as well. Because I think if they're targeting some of the more traditional Labour voting seats in South Wales, in South Wales, then I think that they are going to go more along the I think they're going to go more along the lines of okay, this is how Labour has failed you in the past, and this is us, we're not the Tories, and this is how we're going to show you into the future. I don't necessarily think that they're going to do that just with Welsh independence movement. I think it's going to be more of a, here are, the, here are Labour's failings, and here how, is how Labour has failed your communities. At least I would, foc at least I would focus on like, the services and the issues there, because I think that's something that people are more drawn to. You know previous episodes when we've talked to other parties not really any of them brought up the environment do you think it is a real priority for any of the major parties or do you think uh, it's it's just something they they feel like they should tag on I, I definitely think it's a priority for some of the parties actually you know speaking as a Welsh Labour member um, when you're looking at Jeremy Miles who's obviously been appointed to do the um, post-Covid recovery plan there's a consistent focus coming out of that now on green jobs. I think there's an uh, interview with Ken Skates. I can't remember which platform it was on. The examples he gave were 
green jobs. So I think when uh, you had mentioned earlier about maybe Labour's focus on being jobs, 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 I think I, I would be very surprised to not see them linking green jobs into that. Uh, I think on the environment, there's been a lot of talk. You know, we talk about the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act that generates a lot of good headlines, but maybe less action and people are a bit disappointed with that. From a Welsh Labour perspective on the environment, a lot of uh, the parties waiting to see action on it as well as words. Uh, and I think COVID and talking about building back better really lends itself well to investment in, in green energy and green jobs. Nisreen, do you think it'll be a positive or a negative election next year? Do you think people will be selling hope or do you think they'll be uh, trying to blame, well, if you're Clyde or the Conservatives, trying to blame Labour, if you're Labour, trying to blame the Conservatives in London, what do you think is going to happen? I think given the amount of autonomy we've had over decisions over the last few months, I think it'd be quite hard to keep pointing the finger at London or external factors. I think I think it's healthy for Wales to keep the narrative around what we're doing here and how we're trying to, um, I think the build back better message is, is definitely coming from Welsh Government very clearly and, and that sort of positivity is very good and what people want to hear I think. Um, but I think it will be about the, the specific policy ideas that are coming beneath that and how actually inclusive they are. I think the idea of inclusive growth has been around for, for quite some time now. It's been quite fashionable, but um, we're still seeing in terms of like headline poverty rates, uh, inequality in society, very little movement. And I think if we want it to be genuinely positive and meaningful, we actually have to come up with policy ideas that will have very tangible outcomes when it comes to people's take home income and their opportunities in life. So yeah, I think it, it should be positive. I want it to be positive, but it has to be positive in a meaningful way. Yeah, I mean, I, on a personal perspective, I really want it to be a positive election. You know, we've had enough of negativity in politics. And I think when there is negativity in politics, it's not you, that's not when you get the best answers and you get the best policies. For, for the best policies to, to win the day, you need a chance to deliberate over what we're, the challenges that we're facing at the moment and the different alternatives that we have in facing it. A positive environment is getting more and more necessary to find those right answers and I think there's almost a responsibility on the politicians that we have in Wales now to create that atmosphere of deliberation thinking about how we can use the tools available to us in Wales in the most positive way possible and I really really do hope that that's how Welsh politics can be defined going forward. Gemma do you think we have enough levers available to us in Wales to really fight this sort of status quo altering campaigns or do you think it will always just settle back into a sort of regular reliable rhythm of of the old policies i think that we don't use what we've got in the most effective way currently and i think we need to prove that we can use them first before we kind of you know go and ask for some more so there's a really good example is um uh, you know some of the new tax powers we've got and some of the environmental powers we've got environmental environmental legislation and and you know pretty much all of the environment um, with some exceptions is completely devolved and credit where credit's due um you know labor labor has introduced some very good environmental policies over the years they declared a climate emergency but the action they can take action on that now Every, every every single environmental decision that's it's a matter of political will we've got the technology we've got the solutions 
and it's a matter of will. So there's not an awful lot of extra things that I think we, we get to ask for until we start, you know, putting the ones that we've got into practice. Okay, we're going to move on to talking about uh, COVID-19 now. A lot of people are becoming more aware of devolution and the, the limits of devolution as a result of COVID-19 and our lockdowns. Do you think this increased knowledge of election will have a, a big impact on who's voting, the type of campaigns we run? Um, yeah, I definitely think it will. I think um, the First Minister and other cabinet members have become much more prominent, possibly to a, a whole new group of people that were never really that aware of what um, our government here looks like. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing on that is that people employed in the public sector have had to respond very closely to what Welsh Government has done. And I think particularly they are going to be, uh, I think, looking far more closely at what the next Welsh Government might be offering them, recognising, I think, that they're kind of at the top of their employment scale type thing, making the, the key decisions. And I think that'll be really interesting. I think also this is the first time the Welsh Government has really had to speak directly to the workforce and had to, you know, take responsibility in new areas. So I think that will also make people more politically aware and engaged. And yeah, they're all very positive things. As an avid uh, watcher of Roger Scully polls, um, it's, it's always been an issue, hasn't it? Um, recognition of the First Minister. We, we've almost seen something like this before when we saw Leanne Wood in the UKY TV debates and she got a huge profile. And um, we, we saw some limited repercussions of that when she took the, the Rhonda seat the last election just through having that huge profile. I think now we've got a similar situation with Mark Drakeford who has, who has quite good ratings now, but also the fact that lots of people know who he is. Um, so I think going into the next election, other party leaders are going to have to contend with the fact that lots of people know and, uh, fingers crossed, still like him. And he's going to be far more capable of generating headlines and, and news articles because he's a, a you know, partially UK-wide figure now as well. And then you, look, you compare that to uh, Adam Price and especially Paul Davis. And Paul Davis is probably going to be the main opposition to, uh, to Labour in the next election. That, that's going to be a huge dynamic in the um, in the Senate election and seeing how the opposition parties deal with that will be really interesting. Quick plug. So I'm one of the people who run an online campaign called That's Evolved, which seeks to like raise awareness about the devolution. And But something that we've noticed is that people are vaguely aware that devolution exists and they always have been, but it's it's the next step of applying of applying devolution to everyday life and applying it to some things that they can recognise the impact it has on them, and like bringing it really bringing it home really, and so I think that's absolutely going to have a dif uh, difference in the next uh, in the next election. Mark's profile is going to be really interesting and really interesting to see how that plays out. Is he going to be able to maintain the momentum that he's built so far? So he's got like a really good public image and a really good public profile right now at least better than he has had before but is it going to be like a like a Churchill effect of he's the man of like the moment he's the person to lead through Covid but is he necessarily going to be able to convince people that he can lead Wales afterwards as well and that's what I think is going to be really interesting. Owen as the guy who ran the don't visit Wales challenge on Twitter have you noticed a big increase in people I, I agree with Megan in in a sort of in a sort of tangential way as well. I, I think there there'll be when during the during the Senate elections there will be 
an ambition from Welsh Labour and the Welsh Conservatives because, of course, Scotland, they can farm Starmer and Johnson up there and it's not really going to have the impact. You know, Labour, Labour will have a bit of cut through, but I don't think the Tories will, will do as much because Sturgeon is such a force of nature. But in Wales, there'll be an attraction to sort of roll out Starmer and Johnson in Wales. But I think the problem there will muddy all the good works uh, Drakeford has done to delineate how we differ from England. I, th I think that will happen. And I think, like it or not, they're going to roll out Johnson and Starmer because they've got, you know, they've both got big profiles here. And it will just muddy the water. What will be interesting to see is how um, Plaid and the Lib Dems cut through there. And of course, how, um, how, how abolish the assembly cut through. I think that the attraction will be to roll them out. And I think that will be a really bad thing. I think that what has happened a lot here is that People have had a lot of their lives forced online in a lots of different ways. So I'm sure that will have some implication for politics as well. And maybe some parties will be better at handling that than others. One of the sort of defining factors of Welsh politics over the past year or so has been how quickly things have changed. And we've had the Conservatives do much better than they have done in the past during those polls. And more recently, Welsh Labour have uh, revitalised themselves again and they've had a bit of a resurgence and I've been ahead. Um, so how quickly things can change, I think, is a really important factor. And yeah, certainly within that is the fact that different parties will react differently to the changing environment. Harry, if the election's for online, who do you think it benefits the most? Oh, that's a really interesting question because um, obviously it won't just be for so just online because um, you've got broadcast media as well. So I think uh, online campaigning is a part of it, but online campaigning on Facebook, where the majority of the population are in terms of social media, has become harder because they've changed their algorithm, which is obviously a, bit, a big reason for the changes we saw between the 2017 and 2019 general elections for Labour, because they could get less organic reach on their posts. The easy answer, you'd think, would be to say Plaid Cymru, because they've got such a big dedicated online following. But then, of course, with social media, what you have is um, echo chambers and, and bubbles. And I think who it would really benefit is Labour, to be honest, because like I said, with Mark Drakeford's new uh, profile and with the first ministership and the ability to um, drive broadcast media coverage, uh, I think if we're not allowed to do door-to-door -door campaigning and broadcast media takes over more than ever, then I think that the politicians who can drive uh, broadcast media coverage are going to be the ones that uh, do best as long as they do well with it. And I think at the moment it's looking like that's Mark Drakeford. So. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I think when you, I, I think Dan's got a really good point. I think broadcast media will drive these things. But I think when you throw, you know, when you throw Mark Drakeford and Adam, Adam Price into a bear pit, it'd be interesting to see who comes out with, you know, bloodies and which one comes out victorious. I, I don't quite know. Um, having seen them interact in the Senate, they, they, they both seem to have the bit between their teeth. But to see them on television, how they will be interpreted and how people will view them will be interesting. I don't know that Paul Davis has got much dog in the fight in, in that particular setup. I, I think Kirsty Williams will be interesting because she's got a she's got a far bigger profile as a result of the um, as a result of her education portfolio. But I I don't know how that will operate on on television. I think it would be interesting to see the sparring match between Price and Jakeford. Covid's done done devolution an awful lot of favours, um, but I think there's there's also a money issue. You know, if this if this isn't going to be a door knocking campaign. 
um, this is a social media campaign. You know, that's uh, whoever's got the most money can target the most people, essentially. And that doesn't bode well for the, for the smaller parties. Um, but it perhaps does bode well for the, you know, for the younger people demographic. And obviously we've got 16 year olds being allowed to vote in, in this election for the first time. So there's potentially an advantage there um if you've got the right algorithms if you've got the right targeting if you've got the right strategists and social media guys on your campaign and you've got the money to do it um, I think the other thing is how they message to different groups based on how different their experience has been of this crisis. I think I'm often in conversations where people are saying everyone's working from home now and then in other conversations where we're talking about our key workers who have gone out to work throughout this crisis, often on very low pay and, uh, you know, having a quite horrendous experience in some cases. And I think that's going to be really difficult for political parties to try to talk to a society that has gone through this very traumatic events so differently um, and I think young young people speaking like somebody who's about 900 years old uh, is a, a very interesting demographic because if we do face very high youth unemployment and we've had young people's lifestyles impacted so much by the crisis it's going to be interesting to see what they're going to be looking for from politicians particularly those who are voting for the first time and also what their parents are going to be looking for in terms of solutions to youth unemployment and that could become a really uh, interesting battleground for the parties. The thing we're missing here is the grassroots element I think that uh, and I'm not talking about the party political grassroots element I'm talking about the grassroots element that exists around Yes Cymru and AUOB I think there's that young youthful image there they they will they will mould that and they will deliver messaging based on the idea of a better Wales or a, or a future Wales or a new Wales and it will play to applied strength it may play to Labour as well but it, it certainly won't play to the right and and that's what will be interesting to watch I think on social in particular. So we turn now to the topic of Brexit. How much do you think Brexit will still be a part of the campaigns next year? Also, can you see any parties making way for opportunities that arise from Brexit trying to turn us leaving the EU into a positive? It, it almost seems as if Brexit has just disappeared now, which is just crazy considering, you know, how dominant it was not very long ago. It is going to come back as a big issue. Uh, it was in the news today that uh, the future of the Shared Prosperity Fund is coming under, under doubt, which would be, you know, I would have massive implications for Wales. And as we get more information about the type of Brexit we're going to get and the relationship we have with the EU going forward, it will come back as an issue because people will be more aware of the impact it's going to have on the day-to-day lives of people uh, in Wales and across the UK. I thought Adam Price made an interesting intervention a few months ago when he started talking about how Plaid had sort of turned away from trying to reverse Brexit or trying to have a second referendum and moving towards thinking about how we you know what policies are now available to us what kind of things can we be doing i've always been sort of wary of the argument about you know the, the opportunities of brexit because you know people talk about the great opportunities of public investment and procurement policies you know that's not the brexit vision that's not what brexit was sold as and there are other countries in the eu who have been much better at that but i think looking at that the opportunities of that is the way we should be treating it. We have to go forward with it now. And I, I think that was a welcome intervention. And hopefully you know, there will be opportunities coming from this and we will be able to use those policies in a positive way. Harry, do you think there's any uh, positive policies that will come next year as a consequence of Brexit? Oh, God, that's a hard one. Positive policies as a result of Brexit? Uh, to be honest, no. 
I don't really have much more to say than that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Gemma or Meg? Brexit has currently it's on it's on pause, but it's not forgotten. Um, I think the polarisation still exists um, within the electorate, and I think that those feelings of being let down and the, the reasons why some people voted for Brexit is still very much there, and parties would do well not to forget that. You could potentially argue that with, with COVID and Brexit coming, you've got an opportunity to remake legislation um, because a lot of new legislation is going to be coming forward. Um, we're going to be putting environmental, you know, our own environmental governance laws in place, for example, hopefully. Um, hopefully our own, you know, working rights statutes, etc. We could do that better. We could do it stronger, you know, we could have a bit of a daft punk bill going on. I suspect that they'll be diluted, but there is an opportunity for engagement there. So wherever you've got these big issues where you're, you know, that, that affect a lot of people um, and particularly younger people, there is an opportunity for engagement. And I think that you can, you know, if you, if you get young people excited about politics now and if you get them engaged, then, you know, we can, we can really start affecting change for future generations. So that's, that's the positive. That's the potential. I think we're definitely going to see it, at least from the Tories. I think we're going to see a lot of, we are the we are Boris Johnson's party, we are the party who has brought you Brexit. I think they're really going to try and capitalise on what they built during the 2019 general election. But in terms of like issues that, well, not necessarily in terms of issues that I think will definitely come up, but what I'd like to see come up is the impact of Brexit on equalities and the impact of people of the lack of funding and the lack of funding to the third sector has on organize, has on organizations that typically that typically represent equalities groups so like for example in the disability sector in terms of like a, a positive response to brexit we've been calling for a social partnership act for some time to make sure that we keep that work voice element in policy making that the eu has it's not perfect but that we're not going to see from the current british government most likely so you know in terms of how like how we want to design policy in wales that could be a really important way of bringing about just outcomes um, on the more negative side, the impact on our manufacturing sector, which is important to the Welsh economy, could be absolutely huge. We're also, you know, looking at how we can make that sector more environmentally friendly. And, and I think the idea of, of a just transition um, is certainly something that a lot of people seem to be supportive of. But we need to have the policies in place to actually make that a reality. We need to respect what needs to take place at a government level and what needs to take place at a workplace level to actually make sure that you do reach just outcomes for, for people and their communities. It's going to make us reflect on things a little bit differently and probably have to get a bit more serious in certain policy areas. If I may, Matthew, I think that um, Brexit's impact on the upcoming um, campaigns uh, early next year will be um, coloured by what happens in January. If we crash out without the deal and all hell breaks loose, then it's going to be a, you did this, and um, look what you did, look what you manufactured. I think, you know, the news in the past couple of days that the chief Sherpa to the EU is now going to be taking over from Mark Sedwell and redesigning the Cabinet Office. 
in Dominic Cummings' own image will just play into the hands of people who go, you're trying to install a presidency at the top here. You're trying to change things by stealth in the open because you've just got the security blanket of four, another four years to just do it. So all of those things could play very, very badly for the Tories um, in the not-too-distant future. But who knows? I mean, if Brexit turns out to be an almighty success, which I just can't imagine it will be, then it'll be it'll be interesting. Harry did have a salient point that I think he wants to come in on, though, and I, I really think he should say it now. Uh, I did think of one positive uh, outcome of Brexit being done and dusted by the uh, next seventh election, which might be the Brexit Party MSs losing their seats. <laughs> in all our podcasts pretty much we've had is there always been people talking about how they need to do radical things they want to create change how likely do you see it being that the parties next year are really radical i think i'm going to offer a, a positive viewpoint again which is that i think i think a lot of the parties are coming towards those arguments now that they know policies and perspectives that five years ago would have been considered radical aren't really considered radical anymore. Like a lot of the parties are talking about the well-being economy and parties are talking about the new ways of running the economy that we can develop and new ways of citizen engagement and things like that. And I'm feeling quite optimistic about it. But looking at Labour, Mark Drakeford's leadership manifesto was certainly radical. Plaid Cymru, I'm sure, uh, will be trying to develop radical policies as well and will be contributing that to to, to the debate. I think there is an awareness and a realization that radical things are needed, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what the what the parties can suggest. Well, there's an interesting point I, I referenced it earlier in um, the 2016 election, which was that we've had austerity for so long in devolved Welsh politics now and devolved Welsh governance that it's become seen like something of a norm. I think even as a Labour supporter, I can say that the 2016 manifesto wasn't hugely inspiring. There was uh, some good policies in it, like the childcare offer, but it was a bit thin uh, and it was nothing that was ever going to move the dial or change Wales radically, frankly. Um, I've, I've got some you know, sympathy with the Welsh Labour government for, uh, for that scenario because fundamentally what they want to do is in, in, have a more activist state and a bigger state. Uh, and the challenge of trying to do that when you have a mandatory smaller budget is, is really difficult. We don't know how the cards are going to fall with COVID-19 and its impact on um, uh, the Welsh Government's budget yet. But like I said earlier, there was um, there's some noises coming out of Downing Street. And I think there's a speech Boris Johnson is giving tomorrow where they're going to indicate, I don't know if this will happen in reality or if it's just rhetoric, where they're going to indicate that they're going to take a more Keynesian approach to public finances after COVID-19. They're trying to the, the setup for the speech at the moment is there's going to be no return to austerity. So I think if, um, in terms of radical policy and what stopped Welsh Labour in the past, I think they've had these last five years quite a good excuse to not have hugely radical policy because I think, frankly, if you don't have the money to back things up, then you're not going to make a huge amount of change. So I think in terms of radical policy making, if we do get this Keynesian response from the uh, Conservative government in Westminster, then um, what, what you're going to have is uh, Barnet consequentials. So I think in terms of radical policy making, it's uh, time to act as well as talk for the Labour Party in Wales in, for the next manifesto process and the next election, because if they've got the funds to do more, people are going to see what, they want, what they're going to do with it. What we've seen, especially with the Welsh Labour Party, is I think people, like the sense of they've been in government for over 20 years and it's almost like a stagnation. And you see a lot of see a return to us talking about like memories of past radical policy, like free prescriptions, but not really much about what's going to go move forward. I think it's difficult to talk about 
what is going to be the new radical po policies because that feels like it's become such a buzzword that all the parties is like battering around what is radical going to mean in the context of May 2021? I think one of the one of the problems for me is that there's a there's a problem for the political parties in that in in times of social and economic uncertainty people want certainty and stability and continuity but there is a radical situation going on at the moment with Covid and that means that there is the opportunity for radical policies to be more accepted. One of the things I have a problem with is that a lot of the things which are put forward as radical policies are, are actually not that radical. They are, they, are they are radical policies but still within the framework of a, a kind of neoliberal tradition. Um, you know, we're still talking about essentially um, investment and infrastructure and we've been doing that in the South Wales Valleys for for decades now we need something which is much more holistic we need to look at the environment uh, and the economy and our social policy um, as being completely and utterly synonymous our environment is sick because our economy is sick our economy is sick and it's making us sick both literally and metaphorically and I don't see that that kind of recognition of systemic change, um, which is the sort of radical policy which, which I want to see um, and which is needed fundamentally in, in any of the kind of, any of the discourse at the moment. There's a lot of thinking about what, what Wales could be in resetting things and this kind of new path to recovery. But what I'm hearing from a kind of policy perspective is generally it's the, it's the same things along the same lines and they're pushing back and being reactive against a framework which is currently not working for anybody and if we go forward with this recovery and we are still in this the, the, the current framework that we use we don't and we don't take those social economic and environmental principles as synonymous that will not be a recovery that is just a trajectory with a little bit of economic tinkering or social tinkering, whichever way you, you go. Um, it has to be looked at as a package and I'm not seeing any radical systemic policies put forward. I think we need a radical vision for Wales from our political parties, but not necessarily radical policies or standalone ideas. I think sometimes there's, um, there's a tendency in Wales to say, to take a policy off the shelf probably from a totally different context and say this is what Wales need and we need and we need to be the first country in the UK to adopt it but I don't I'm not sure that necessarily is the right approach I think we need the vision we need to know what what we want but also what's unacceptable and we need to work towards that and actually deliver on it and I'm thinking particularly about things like the types of businesses we fund the practices they have and using our public money in a way that delivers really good outcomes for people in Wales and you know I think everybody's kind of on board with the idea now that we shouldn't just be funding any job it has to be good jobs but we have to be thinking about the environmental impact of those jobs how they're investing in the skills of their workforce and I think Gemma's totally right when it's about a more holistic approach to it all. I agree with I agree with Gemma. Just literally adopt everything the Future Generations Commissioner Sophie Howe says um, into your policies. That's that, that that's that's about as radical as anyone seems to be able to go. I mean, I've been quite impressed with people like Lee Waters during the pandemic and and how they've rolled out these finances to to help cities and towns develop their infrastructure to manage for a 
for a carless environment and where people can get around easier without coming into contact. I'm really impressed with how they've done that. But um, but I just don't understand why it's taken 20 years to get there and why it's taken a pandemic to push this through. I just think that radicalism, radicalism is at the heart of what Labour has been for forever. And uh, I mean, I and I know that I know that future Je- future generation commissioner just says green party policies. Thank you, Kev, you're pushing that through in the chat here. Um, but I'm I, I just want to point out that yes, that's radicalism. That's exactly the well-being argument, that holistic well-being argument. I said right at the top of the show, it needs those things need to be fostered and developed. You can't you can't make a better world and a better world for people if you don't inject some sense of radicalism into the next uh, next set of policy uh, proposals. So what we usually do at the end of our party political podcasts is ask them the really tricky question of how many seats they'll think they'll get at the end of next year. So I think an equivalently difficult question for policy boards would be, if you could have one policy that made its way into every single manifesto next year, and no matter who won, it was going to be implemented, what would it be? Uh, I think it kind of goes to what Nisreen was saying, and it's, it's a how we uh, use procurement policy in Wales. Uh, that's something that has been evidenced really well, that that fits into the wellbeing economy. Uh, you've seen it locally in places like Preston, uh, and I think it's somewhere that something that lends itself to being adopted in Wales and something that could be really successful. So I think, yeah, ethical procurement policies and the expansion of those. Um, for, for me, pretty unequivocally, it's a, a Green New Deal. Uh, and I know that's a broad phrase that has been used in different contexts to capture a lot of things. But I think what it puts across is the fact that climate change is the biggest issue we face. Um, across all the policy sectors, nothing can exist if we, uh, if we don't get a grip on climate change. So I'd like to see Wales have some actions that properly backs up its world-leading talk on climate change uh, from the next election. And uh, yeah, a Green New Deal for Wales. I think there needs to be a commitment from the parties, and I don't know how how the right would manufacture this, but there has to be a commitment from the parties that if Scotland uh, get a mandate for a second referendum, that there will be a there will be a, a real consideration given a perhaps a, a public commission given to how Wales is best equipped to deal with a post uh, indie Scotland a uh, post indie UK I'm sorry um, because the danger is that Wales gets really sidelined and left behind if if it ends up being uh, in Wales as a rump state to England as it were. If you cast your minds all the way back to February we had three storms in, um, that caused one in 100 year floods in, in two weeks. My dad lost his house, um, he's still living with me. Um, so I'm slightly biased when I say that I want, I want really serious and urgent action on, on climate change. In, there is not gonna be a future Welsh government that isn't going to have to deal with the fallout of climate change and or a series of extreme weather events. So it's in all the party's interest to, to you know, do something quite quickly, because at best it's going to lead to to you know um, loss of housing. At worst, it's going to lead to loss of livelihoods and life, and potentially on an annual basis. And we've really got to get look up to that fact. We've really got to face up to that fact now. That's something I'd like to see is as a commitment from all the parties is to adopt a UN Convention on the Rights of Disabled People into Welsh law that they've done with the rights of the child. I think that is incredibly important that no matter who gets it, who gets in, 
that the consideration for the needs of disabled people is at the forefront of all of all policy making. I think it's something that people have really put aside and forgotten, especially with everything that's happened with COVID. We've really seen a return to a more medicalised idea of what disability is. And I think in order for for Wales to go into the future, it needs to it needs to rethink how it's for how it is coming up with policy. I'm going niche because I'm obsessed, but we want to see sexual collective bargaining for social care as soon as possible. So getting unions and employers around the table for outsourced social care to agree the necessary pay scales to match up with the qualifications that care workers need as part of the registration process here so that people get the fair reward that they deserve. And I think that will radically transform employment in the sector because they are so underpaid. There are lots of other issues with employment in the sector that that sexual bargaining process could start to address. And it's exactly where we need to be taking things in terms of employment in Wales. Thank you all so much for, for being here tonight and for sharing your incredible thoughts and views of what the policy landscape is going to look like in, in not quite 12 months. How is the best way for people listening to the pod to get hold of you? Uh, I am, Twitter for most, I assume. So, Dan, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, it's at DanRoberts11. The 11, uh, is, that, that's my way of saying thank you to Ryan Giggs and Gareth Bale. I assume Dan forgot about Shane Williams there as well. Uh, mine is at HMorganThompson. Uh, mine is at MeganLeah Thomas. I'm at Gemma Beer, um, J-E-M-M-A-B-E-R-E. It's at Mystery Anna. Join my 12,000 followers at O's <laughs> <laughs> at those wills Wonderful. thank you so much for all of you for coming on tonight if you like what you've heard please don't forget to subscribe rate and review wonderful thanks so much guys thank you for listening to here if you like what you heard please don't forget to subscribe rate and review